Uh, my name is Ed Mead, um, and I'm here with the second podcast in the Vuba series, and I'm very pleased to welcome Vanessa Warwick, who doesn't really need any introduction to anybody who knows anything about property, and she certainly needs no introduction to either a microphone or indeed her husband who's here filming us as we speak. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's good to have you here, Vanessa. Uh, we've spoken before quite often, and the areas in which you specialise are or you've come to specialise, are very much borne out by your own experience in life. Um, in other words, you've built up a significant portfolio of properties. So tell me a little bit about uh, your property portfolio and indeed the service that you use. I think it's going to be 10 years old next year, Property it Tribes. It is, it is. So tell us a little bit about Property Tribes and your experience as a landlord. Well, myself and Nick got involved in property in 2004. Um, we were working um, in the broadcast TV arena where I was um, directing big music specials and so forth. One of my claims to fame is that I directed Motorhead's 25th anniversary concert at Brixton Academy. So, I've got a story um, <laughs> about Motorhead listeners, but I'm not going to tell that here and now. <laughs> so I like to say that I went from rock and roll to bricks and mortar. And when I met Nick, um, we I guess we were getting tired of being in the media industry um, Obviously, YouTube was coming along. It was having a big impact on uh, the kind of programming that was being commissioned, the budgets. And uh, Nick said, you know, we're working really long hours and, um, you know, I can see that this isn't going to carry on forever. We really need to do something to uh, secure our financial future and, and have, um, you know, a life where we can do all the things that we love to do because Nick and I love to travel and see the world. Um, and that's what got us into property. And we went on a two-day educational weekend for two days and we just never looked back. We totally immersed ourselves in the sector. And um, over the years, we've built up quite a significant uh, property portfolio we started with flats in London, diversified into family homes in the southeast in the M3, M4 corridor. We've got a little bit of stock up north and we've got a couple of holiday lets on the south coast. And it was really through being immersed in the property sector and, and I, I, I couldn't find anywhere where I could go and have a really robust and professional debate because I believe that being a landlord, you have to adopt a business attitude you have to treat it as a profession and I mentioned this to Nick one day in February um, 2009 and he said well look I'll put a platform up for you and you can just chat there and he went on this free platform set it up called it Property Tribes I invited my friends along and to cut a very long story short it just grew and grew and grew and grew um, and we realised about six years ago that we had something really quite special. Um, we moved it to a bespoke platform that we had co coded ourselves um, and we turned it into um, a commercial ed uh, entity to fund it because obviously there's massive server space involved and those kind of things and developers. Um, and the version that you see today is propertytribes.com. That's the third incarnation of our landlord community and um, yeah, it just just keeps on so going. So it really it really brings together the two things which you know, which is the media world and and property. It is. It does um, indeed. And um, you know, it was Nick that really said, uh, I think six or seven years ago, we should start a YouTube channel because we've got all these skills. Nick was a cameraman, I was a producer, director, and presenter, um, and we started our YouTube channel. And just recently, we've topped five hundred thousand views, and we've got over seven hundred and fifty videos on there. So it really sort of plays into the modern zeitgeist, doesn't it, really? Because 
Um, if we look at what's been happening and what's coming down the tracks with buy to let, I mean, you and I have had several conversations, both on social media and in real life, about the changes that are happening at the moment. I think most people who are listening to this, the reason they'll be listening to it probably is because they know exactly what's coming down the tracks and they want to know what we want to say about it. And um, effectively, what the government have been doing over the last two or three years is is to, I think ultimately, it's to professionalise the landlord game, if I can put it like that. Yes. Uh, would that be a fair description of what they're doing? I think it would. Um, and I think the big problem is that the vast majority of um, landlords in the UK don't even know they're on the track and that there's a train coming. Um, because if we take the home let figures, which is what we tend to refer to, um, it's believed there's around two and a half million landlords in the UK. Home let? Home let. Home let is what? Yes, it's, it's an uh, information okay. resource and, and other bits and pieces. But um, there's 97% of those 2.5 million landlords are what are called small landlords who have three or less properties. So they are the mass landlord market. And they don't even know they're a landlord because they're a teacher, a vet, a solicitor, they have a career, and they're very busy in their workaday world. And they've got a few properties on the side. So they don't think like a landlord, they don't engage like a landlord. Um, and as I said, they are the mass market. The 3% with four or more properties are, are the professional portfolio landlords. And unfortunately, there is this massive communication issue with, with the, the small landlord because they're not in a landlord mindset. They, they don't know about... I um, but I presume, Vanessa, that's slightly exacerbated by the fact that, that because of the changes that are coming down the line, which are now beginning to bite, finally, these issues of not being able to set off your mortgage interest to quite the extent you used to be able to, not allowed wear and tear allowances, etc., etc. Um, a lot of the way that landlords these days can can make more money is by, unfortunately, is by abandoning their estate agent as well, their lettings agent. Yeah. So so that's another reason why they're finding it difficult to know where to go to communicate because quite often, as you say, I didn't quite, understood it, under, I didn't quite understand the expression when you first used it, landlords who don't know they're landlords. Mm. <laughs> I now understand it. I can see what, what you mean. And they don't have anywhere to go. So they probably or, or they may increasingly often not have an agent. So, So where do they go? I suppose they go to propertytribes.com. That's the objective of why you set it up. Well, of course, we couldn't foresee this coming when we set it up. And um, actually, I believe that all landlords starting out um, should use a let uh, reputable lettings agents that regulated via either Arla, Nals or RICS, um, because there are over 160 government statutes and regulations that landlords have to adhere to in order to be compliant. Um, and clearly, the government has introduced some very serious penalties and fines if um, if you're found to uh, not be compliant, up to £30,000 per offence. So um, it's actually a serious business risk um, not to be compliant, let alone that you may be putting your tenant in, in danger in some way. Landlords, um, you know, they have to supply safe and compliant homes for their tenants. And uh, a lot of the and, uh, sort of rhetoric or anti-landlord sentiment around at the moment is because, you know, a small minor minority of landlords aren't doing that. So um, we are in a funny position because I believe that uh, landlords, you know, that the letting agent is hugely valuable to a landlord. All our properties are fully managed through agents. So we don't we don't manage any of our own at the moment, although I have done in the past, um, and. With the advent of Section 24, which is this new very harsh tax regime that will affect a significant number of landlords, 
one of the things that landlords are going to have to do to mitigate that is to look at reducing their costs. And an obvious thing is to separate from their lettings agent and self-manage. So we're in a very strange situation because the vast majority of landlords out there, I don't even believe that they're aware of Section 24. They just don't know what's coming down the track towards them. Um, and it, it really is going to become as a big shock to them. Yes. Yeah, so in other words, if they're looking for, because an awful lot of buy-to-let landlords, I mean, my experience, um, and I've been in estate agency and letting since 1979, and Back then, there were quite a lot of people who used to buy homes to to rent them out, but they never used to look at, at, well, one word that never seemed to be included in their investment speech was the word yield. They all bought them and just thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll let it out just to sort of keep it lived in and keep it warm and so I can afford the odd bit of painting. And and the long-term game was all about capital value. Now, everything seems to be predicated on yield. And of course, if people are going to increase their yield, at the moment they're paying, you know, they could be paying anything between 5 and 15% to have their property managed, depending on how heavily it's managed. And if they're looking to get some, some more yield, in inverted commas, yep. they, they have to increase that by getting rid of some of the costs. Yep. To what extent do you, where does the balance sit between yield and capital value, do you think? I think that's one of the holy grail questions of property investment. I mean, everybody, you know, frequently coming on to property tribes saying, oh, I want yield and I want capital growth. Um, in my experience, that they, you know, they just don't come together. It's really one or the other. I personally have a lot of concerns about novice landlords being attracted up north to where the property prices are very, very cheap. You know, we're talking 40, 50, 100,000 pounds um, and not understanding that those kind of areas can, can come fraught with, with uh, you know, difficulties. Um, you know, it's, I always say if a boiler goes on a 40,000 pound property, it's still 2,000 pounds to replace it on a property that's bringing in maybe 300, 400 pounds a month as it is on a... £500,000 property, it's the same cost, it's £2,000, but that £2,000 on a cheap property will actually wipe out your any kind of profit for you know a significant portion of the year. So um, for my part, I believe it's always cash flow first, because if you are uh, making net profit month on month, it allows you to stay in the game longer to benefit from any potential capital growth. Uh, you know, cash flow month on month is money in your pocket that you can spend. Capital growth is entirely speculative. None of us can say where there's going to be capital growth. If there's going to be capital growth, there may even be, you know, a, a decline in property prices because of Brexit and economic concerns. A lot of talk about that at the moment. So I've always, always advocated focusing on month on month net income from the rent. Well, I think that that obviously makes a lot of sense and that's very good advice. Um, and although um, landlords or people who are considering investing in property, they may not know what capital values are going to do, what they can do is do a calculation on how their income will be, um, assuming they know what they're going to be borrowing. They're going to know what their potential changes are in the bottom line over the next sort of three or four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, looking at your own portfolio, I'm assuming that Section 24, which for those who don't know, is a, it, it's a section of the 2015 Finance Act, which was brought in to 
as we said earlier, to sort of professionalise the industry. But the objective, a lot of people have looked at it very negatively and thought, oh, they're trying to drive by to let landlords out of the market. But the the bottom line is that the bottom line will change. So if you look at your own portfolio, for instance, what effect will it have over the next sort of three or four years on the bottom line? I mean, I know it's incremental, but it will have an effect on it. It, it certainly will. We will be affected by Section 24. Um, and we have looked at all the possible ways of mitigating that impact. And so far, I've yet to find a satisfactory way of doing that. So our personal strategy is that we've sold a couple of the more poorly performing properties. And um, I'm just battening down the hatches and looking to survive the storm because I absolutely 100% believe that Section 24 cannot last. It's, um, you know, deterring landlords from investing in the sector. There's a massive disconnect between local government and central government. Um, Central government doing all sorts of things to deter landlords from buying investment properties, deter them from expanding their portfolios, uh, deterring, you know, newbies coming into it. Whereas at local government, you've got um, housing teams screaming for landlords. They're now offering golden hellos of £2,000 for landlords to come onto their books. We know of one local authority alone that has 3,500 families on their waiting list that they can't put into social housing. Hasn't, hasn't that been slightly, though, to an extent? There's been a there's been quite a backlash, hasn't there, about um, tenants not uh, not letting to to um, local authority tenants. Uh, why is that? I mean, is it because of the change? I know there was a change in the law, wasn't there, a few years ago, where benefits were paid to the claimant, who mm-hmm. then paid them to the to, who then pays then is meant to pay them to the landlord. Whereas in the old days, it got paid straight to the landlord. Now. Obviously, if you're a, if you are a landlord and you're being paid by your local authority, that's that's gold plated. You can sort of understand why people, if they're being given the money, may not necessarily want why council tenants might not want to pay that money over. Has mm-hmm. that been why there's been this issue? Well, that's to do with universal credit, which is being rolled out across the country at the moment. And I think uh, statistically, four out of uh, three out of four tenants in receipt of universal credit are in rent arrears. Um, and there are many landlords that are absolutely dreading universal credit arriving in their area, um, and no doubt a lot of them will be uh, serving notice on um, tenants and receipts of benefits because they don't want to be sucked into this universal credit system, which is so complex. Previously, you were dealing, as a landlord, you were dealing with the local authority housing team. Now, you have to deal with the DWP, um, and it's like a, a faceless brick wall. E- you know, even tenants struggle to get through it. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is that um, a lot of uh, lenders do not allow in your mortgage terms and conditions to let to tenants and receipts of benefits. So there's there's lots of reasons, actually. Um, and also uh, that, that that demographic of tenant does, does um, unfortunately, uh, you know, sometimes come with a bad reputation, yeah. um, that they don't look after the properties, that they don't pay the rent and so on. Well, I suppose if the local governments want, or local authorities wanted to... Um perhaps do a bit more on the on the uh, i hesitate always to call it affordable housing the you know affordable rented housing they should be looking at the caps trying to persuade government to to raise the caps against borrowing f- for them so they can go and build their own housing we mm. all know that one of the biggest mm. problems for that sector mm. is that there isn't enough housing available yet the money seems absolutely ridiculous to me that at a time of record low interest rates 
government, central government, doesn't allow local authorities to borrow more money to build housing. It's a sort of, it's a, such an obvious thing. Well, it is. And, and what's even more astonishing is that the local authorities, their bill for temporary accommodation and B&B accommodation is going absolutely through the roof. It's, it's costing the tax payer far, far more to house people in B&Bs and temporary accommodation than it is um, you know, for a private landlord to provide the service for them. You know, I'm aware of a hotel in Oxford, the top two floors have been completely taken over by um, people that the council cannot house. And there are families living in one hotel room with no catering facilities. That is how serious this issue is. And nobody's talking about it. Um, so you've got councils with increasingly growing waiting lists. They want to discharge their housing obligations into the private sector, but they can't because central government is deterring landlords and pushing us away. Yeah, it's a very so, politically charged area, isn't it? It's like, it it's is. like talking about, I mean, the NHS has the same problem. You know, they, they, people, they pay a fortune for sort of locums and temporary staff. And it's another... Um, issue of bad management and, mm. and, and not addressing the bigger issues over the years and it's exactly the same thing with housing. It is. Uh, can I just say that um, se- a version of Section 24 was introduced in Ireland and it lasted about three years. They had to completely cancel it and um, they are now offering landlords incentives to come back into the sector because it absolutely decimated the stock of private ha- landlord housing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the other thing that's been changing and which is, again, coming down the tracks to some extent with landlords is the issue of affordability, isn't it? And and coverage for your mortgage payments. And Mm. and that's changed recently as well, hasn't it? It has. Um, I I think there's three main areas that are creating threats for landlords, if you choose to look at them like that. Um, the, The first one is regulation and legislation. The second one is taxation, which we've already just been talking about. And the third one is indeed um finance. Um, Typically, in the past, landlords were able to finance um, or leverage up to around 75% loan to value by using mortgage finance. But um, the government uh, introduced the PRA, the Prudential Regulation Authority uh, guidelines, um, about two years ago now, and it severely restricts how much um, landlords can borrow. So, Bottom line is landlords are having to put in much bigger deposits, which means they can buy less property. What, typically 50% sort of thing? Or? I would say the average is now um, probably between, yeah, it's probably 55 to 65% loan to value. So a typical deposit is now around 35%. But again, it does depend where you are in the country um, and it does depend on the kind of rental yields in, in that particular area. So actually in the southeast. Um, the PRA is having much more impact where yields are lower than um, up up in the north. And again, that's what's pushing landlords up north um, without actually fully understanding what some of the issues are um, up there. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's good to hear. So we've covered really, I mean, I mean, the regulation is terrifying. I mean, as you say, 160 points for, for, la- for a landlord. That is a real minefield. It is. And are there criminal convictions you get if you get it wrong? Um, there are, there are, um, but it, it, it really depends uh, the nature and the severity. No, sure, of but the, but the fact the is, there's an awful lot of red tape you've got to be careful of. There uh, is. Then, in terms of the taxation, you, we, we've talked about that, and then obviously you've just talked about the finance. So there are very, very few um, bright spots for the time being. But before we turned on uh, and started recording here, um, 
we were talking about all the sort of, about all these issues about all the headwinds and of course uh, headwinds like this do produce opportunity to some extent yeah um how would you characterize that opportunity at the moment i mean how would you see it um i think it it, it the opportunity is going to be for um the landlord who is educated informed explores all the angles um you know there's a, clearly there are ways to mitigate section 24 one of them is to incorporate so we're seeing a huge increase in um, incorporated landlords and indeed i suspect those incorporated landlords may well be hoovering up the properties that are being sold by the small non-professional landlord um, I, I always think there will be opportunity. Um, personally, I'm a big advocate of holiday lets. I know that's not uh, offering full-time accommodation. Still, it's a property investment and um, holiday lettings are not affected by Section 24. Okay, so, so, right. so it's a sort of Warren Buffett approach. When everyone else is selling, you should be buying a little bit. Um, I'm sure there's <laughs> going to be some bargains to be had because there's going to be um, a lot of landlords that bought very heavily in the go-go years between maybe 2000 and 2008 where they built very large, highly leveraged portfolios very quickly. Um, they're going to probably be in, I would say, negative equity, if not negative cash flow as well. And all of this other stuff coming down on them, along with potential interest rate rises, those landlords, um, they're really going to struggle. And I'd be surprised if they survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so fortunately, in, in our case, we bought good quality properties in good areas that have enjoyed some very significant capital growth over the 14 years. So our um, our loan to value has decreased um, since when we quite significantly since when we started. So um, yeah, it's it's going to be the era of the smart landlord going forward, the professional landlord, the landlord that treats it as a business, the landlord that understands their tenant demographic, how to market their property, how to keep the occupancy up. Um, I think we'll see a lot of landlords perhaps moving more into kind of build-to-rent type um, scenarios um, and a lot of landlords perhaps moving to semi-commercial and mixed-use because property, as you know, Ed, comes in so many different um, shapes and sizes and formats and flavours and there's there's always something that you can, you can pick yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a fascinating area. I mean, one of the killers, obviously, of, 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 of yield, we still talk about yield, is is obviously voids, and you just mentioned mm. that. Um, and people often don't put enough emphasis on that, particularly the landlords who don't know their landlords. You yes. know, they really won't understand how, how devastating a couple of months' worth of void can be. Are you a fan of what's been mooted recently about some of these longer tenancies, which now seem to have been booted into the long grass? <laughs> Um, I, I don't see a point for them. Um, the thing that tenants love about being able to rent a property is the flexibility. Um, landlords do not, whatever the media might say, they do not issue Section 21 notices willy-nilly. All landlords um, who are taking a long-term view, they want tenants to stay as long as possible. Um, you know, I think the statistically that 97% of um, Section uh, 21s um, have, have come about because, um, you know, 
the landlord was selling up or they wanted... These are notices to quit, section Yeah, yeah, the, or, or, or rent arrears. Um, and a landlord should be um, allowed to get possession of their yeah, property. Well, I, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, I think we need to be aiming at uh, a much more um, build-to-rent style setting. I mean, mm. if you do go to some country... My, my son lives in Berlin and... Um, Berlin's a nightmare in itself because there aren't enough places to live, so it's going up in value quite quickly. But the Germans seem to have quite a good model for their pension funds to invest mm. in huge developments. Mm. But it seems to me that that is, is partly due to the fact that they simply don't have any capital growth in mm. Germany. So mm. it is all about yield. Mm. So therefore, the pension funds require a yield to pay the pensions. So they buy and build these bulletproof developments and people can have very long... Uh, tenures because they're built to rent so mm-hmm. people can live in them for as long as they like um, and I also get very um, I'll say it on air pissed off with quite a lot of people who who characterize landlords exactly in a way that you just uh, alluded to there where they they think they're always going to get be booted out or whatever mm. the vast majority of landlords and this is my experience over a very long period of being in the game is that they have very long-term views for their properties they're not just trying to to rip people off or make the maximum money. They want an easy life. They want the asset to 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 look after itself. They mm-hmm. want to make a little bit of money from it if they can in terms of extra living expenses. But the chances are they'll keep it for a very long time. Someone will probably move into it, one of their children or whatever, at some point in the future. They have mm-hmm. all sorts of reasons. Yeah. And, of course, all of this is against a backdrop of the fact that if you haven't got money in property, what the hell do you put it in at the moment? Mm, quite. I mean, there really isn't anything else. Well, Ed, Ed, you've just described the exact demographic of what we call the small or amateur landlord, which, as we said earlier, makes up 97% of the marketplace. Um, You know, they want to provide a good uh, level of service for their tenants. Maybe they're not au fait with all the legislation, and that is not acceptable. Ignorance is never can never be an excuse. And this is why, you know, one of the reasons Nick and I started Property Tribes was to make better landlords so that tenants would have a better experience of the sector. But I think the other thing is that I would like to see is that tenants become more proactive in actually vetting the landlord. Um, And I would welcome that as a landlord. I always say to any prospective tenant... I'm in this for the long game. You're welcome to have that that property as long as you need it for. I have no in, intentions of selling it as far as I'm aware. And most of our tenants have, have been with us between four and seven years, which is a long time. But that's a really interesting twist, the idea that a tenant might vet, in inverted commas, the landlord. I mean, how would they go about that? Just by asking just by asking some well, questions. Ask some questions. Uh, are you a member of a landlord association? I'm proud to say that I'm a member of the Residential Landlords Association and also iHouse Association. Um, and I would, you know, put the landlord's name into Google, see what comes up. Um, you know, I get very angry when I see, particularly on Facebook, because we certainly wouldn't allow it on property tribes, is where I see landlords talking about tenants, calling them scum. I will not uh, entertain that. Um, and, you know, if you go onto Facebook and look around and see a landlord that you're thinking of working with complaining about the fact that the tenant complained the heating isn't working, then you would know to steer clear of that individual. Yeah, well, that's so, a very fair point. What do you think about the registration of landlords? Do you have any, I mean, we don't have a lot of time left, but, but hmm. what's your opinion of that? Necessary, unnecessary? My general feeling about all of this is that local authorities have very far-reaching powers to enforce the existing legislation. They're not doing it. Because they don't have the manpower, right? They don't. I don't know why they're not doing it. Perhaps they don't have the manpower. That could be one of the reasons. 
But, um, you know, there is no reason that rogues should be able to exist with all the, um, if, if all the enforcement was, was used against them. But there's so little of it. So rather than, um, you know, what we've taking what's already in existence and enforcing and using the enforcing powers that are there, I, you know, why add more and more red tape? It's not going to solve the problem. No, well, I rather agree. And bearing in mind that we've got a private rented sector, which is bigger than the assisted sector now, mm. it's really something which needs to be looked after. Look, Vanessa, we could sit here all day. Unfortunately, we're, we're, we're very much running out of time. I mean, I'm personally a big fan of what you do. And I think you're, I, I, I see you uh, dishing out advice. You're a columnist in various places and you do all sorts of things, which, which is great. And to be honest with you, um, I think the word landlord communication is the important thing here. Yeah. And um, I mean, if they, if people want to understand, I think it's, I think I'm right in saying that that propertytribes.com is a. There are lots of different forums there where people yes. can go and and not just air their grievances, but actually mm-hmm. generally find out. It, it. How can I put it? The best way for for a landlord to help someone else is or, or the best people to help a landlord are landlords themselves yes and that's exactly what it does that's exactly what it so, does and you know i can't take credit for it because we've got thousands of users on there every day and i, I wouldn't want to take credit for it i i'm my role there is really community community manager and also i do start a lot of the discussions i write articles and and so on and i do answer a lot of questions but ultimately it is a community generated data bank and what I like to say is that by using a site like Property Tribes, you can make other people's hindsight your foresight. So all the mistakes that I made as a landlord when I started out, and indeed I still do make the odd mistake, um, you know, by talking about it on Property Tribes, I can stop people falling into those pitfalls. Yeah, and, well, you know, people can come along and ask their questions and get people, their problems um, solved. Let people learn from other people's mistakes. Well, look, Vanessa, thank you very much. I mean, just to... Just for our listeners, I mean, Property Tribes is, you know, there are 4,000 individual visitors a day, 25,000 page views a day, 40,000 registered users, but a lot more guests than that use it. So yeah. this, is, this is a very big forum. It's not um, only that, Ed, it's just very, very active and engaged. And um, there are a lot of very experienced landlords and indeed property professionals on there, like David Smith is a commentator on there. He's policy director of the RLA and a solicitor for Anthony Gold Solicitors in London, expert on tenant and landlord law. He's on there answering questions. We've got the tenancy deposit scheme on there answering questions. So it's a very engaged, um, busy place where you get some really sound advice. Yeah, well, I think that's great. And I gather you're off to the heart of government tomorrow to talk. So uh, <laughs> clearly a lot of people think you're worth talking to. Thank I you. certainly do. So thanks very much for coming in. Appreciate it. Well, Ed, thank you very much for your support of Property Tribes as well through Viewba. It's been really great to have you on board as well. So thank you for everything that you do for the private rented sector as well. Thank you very much. <laughs>